0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Let's get get into this. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Matthew chapter six, verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, Notably, Jesus does not say, um, you cannot be your own master, he says you 're going to have a master you 're going to serve a master and you can 't serve two masters at a time you 're either going to uh, hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you you can't you can 't serve them both and The juxtaposition here is between God and money um, might be God and uh, material security might be another way of thinking about that jesus 's observation about human devotion here. Uh, is informed by his knowledge of every human heart for all of time. Since the very beginning of time, um, since the the very creation of humanity, you know, Jesus has known this about us. And Jesus's observation here is very individual. Um, he, his His observation about human devotion is informed by his intimate knowledge of your heart and my heart, So when he says you here, it's not plural, it's singular. You, you, singular, cannot serve both God and money. So when Jesus says that we can't serve two masters and we can't serve both God and money, it's because he knows our hearts. Where your treasure is, he says, what you treasure, your true affection, there your heart will be also. I mean, yesterday um, it was about where we place our confidence and hope on our sense of security. barns as he described them, retirement accounts or safety deposit boxes, as I described them. Um, Today, it's about the devotion of our hearts. So if asked as a question, um, maybe it would sound like this. Do you really love the Lord your God with all that you are and all that you do and all that you have? Or is there a competing interest? I mean, if we really looked at our behavior if I really looked at our behavior, um, how do I actually spend the limited resources of my time, talent, and treasure? I mean, if I really made an accounting of each of those, would I discover um, that my devotion to my hobbies, my interests, my family, my financial investments, whatever, is really where my heart is? When I open the word of God, when I worship God, When I spend time with God, is my heart in it or is my heart really not in it? When you're spending time in God's word or with God's people or in God's house, does it feel like a burdensome chore, an obligation, or is your heart in it? Are you you into it? Where's your heart? What are you really into? I mean, that's an indicator of what's really in us in terms of the genuine Lord of our life. I mean, who is really enthroned in my heart? Um, Notice that Jesus does not say that a person can be master of themselves. Every person is serving someone or something. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is both a challenge and an invitation to exalt God, enthrone God as sovereign in our lives, and the one alone whom we will worship and serve. There are lots of headlines um, for us to consider today. Um, And we will cover many of them as we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headlines of the day. Let me lead with this. Jeff Bezos uh, has now he's the co-founder of Amazon, in case that name's not familiar to you. Um, He is sort of the latest uh, in a chorus of corporate leaders cautioning that the United States is headed um, for a recession, actually a global recession, a recent survey of economists by The Wall Street Journal Finds um, that a majority of them expect the United States to enter a a recession by every definition in the coming 12 months, um, and so that's really of concern to most most of us. Like that is, frankly, what we're thinking a lot about um, moment by moment and day to day. And yeah, it's going to influence how we vote. That's because that's how we're wired. What's top of mind is going to influence how we vote. So, what's top of mind for you? Um, as you consider the upcoming midterm election. We're going to talk with Ben Johnson next about what's top of mind for the president of the United States as we enter into this election cycle. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio.
2: This is my
1: right right given by god to live a free life
0: Ben Johnson is back you can find what he's writing at washingtonstand.com Good morning sir Good morning good morning good morning And good morning to, to you always great to hey. be with you You gave me the opportunity to sing so there you go Um Ben uh <laughs> the president of the United States thinks that um that the focus of the midterms should be abortion access. Um, most Americans think that uh, what matters most are really kitchen table issues. Talk with us about the president's announcement that restoring access to abortion for every woman in every state for any reason would be his number one agenda item if voters give him bigger majorities in the House and the Senate in the upcoming midterm election.
2: Well, outwardly, it definitely appears to be a case of misplaced priorities, let's say it that way. As you say, most polls show that uh, Americans say that uh, inflation, the high high price of gasoline and groceries, these are the things that they're most worried about. Uh, However, if you get into it on a more cynical political level, it starts to make sense. If you dig deeper into the polls, it shows that uh, on most issues, on on, uh, those particular issues, as well as immigration and crime, uh, voters trust Republicans more. But when it comes to abortion and health care and the environment, they trust Democrats more. So, Republicans try and make the election about uh, the issues the, where they have the greatest trust. Democrats try to talk about the issues where they have the greatest appeal to voters and that 's what 's happening here. Uh, it happens every election cycle but uh, particularly when it comes to this issue and this focus, uh, I think you you start to see uh, a little bit of the the, uh, the true cynicism and uh, a lack of of um, of um, uh, thoughtfulness here. For example, Stacey Abrams on MSNBC yesterday uh, was on Morning Joe, and they asked her. Uh, Mike Barnacle, the uh, veteran uh, journalist, asked her, "What will you do to bring down prices on these everyday issues—prices on gasoline and milk and so on?" And she said, "Well, abortion is an economic issue because you wouldn't have to spend as much if you didn't have children." Uh, so President Biden is is sort of uh, going out on the campaign trail, stumping across the country. He gave a speech this week saying that. If Democrats are elected to uh, the House of Representatives, the first bill that he will ask them to pass, the first bill he will sign, is uh, the Women's Health Protection Act. He didn't name the act. He always says that it will codify Roe. But actually, uh, as we've talked about on this program, H.R. 3755, which uh, the supporters dubbed the Women's Health uh, Protection Act, actually goes well beyond Roe. It would strike down just about every pro-life law in all 50 states, including health regulations that were supposed to protect women's reproductive health, uh, parental consent laws, parental notification laws, uh, laws restricting late-term abortions up to the point of viability, uh, late-term abortions after the point of viability if uh, someone believes that uh, pregnancy would cause harm to the quote-unquote health of the mother. That's not in Roe. That's from the companion case Doe v. Bolton. And as we saw in the ensuing years from 1973 forward, Essentially, anything that uh, would would cause a woman any kind of um, regret, even or concern or economic harm, uh, people would uh, would sign off and say this is a threat to the woman's health. So uh, essentially, it's uh, an exception that's so wide you could drive a Mack truck through. It was used to justify every form of abortion. That's the bill that he's talking about, and it's it's. Not so much a case of misplaced priorities as, I think, a case of ideology where people are uh, extremely ideologically polarized. Uh, There's been uh, a movement within uh, the support, the core support of abortion to try and get President Biden to do to quote unquote abortion centers mobile and move them into red states or to pay for women in red states to go to blue states to have abortions. Uh, or to set up uh, abortion facilities and military facilities and VA hospitals and so on in order to assure that uh, pro-life laws are essentially vitiated by the federal government. Uh, But it gives us some idea, at least of the spiritual stakes that are involved here in these midterms. If there are just a a few seats changed, and and really in the Senate, very few, uh, the first order of priority will be to overturn uh, a Supreme Court decision and in and uh, Essentially, reinstitute uh, a an abortion regime that led to a million abortions a year at a time, uh, more than sixty-three million abortions since 1973, and that will allow for the killing of the innocent to resume nationwide. <sighs>
0: It's, um, it's very troubling. Thank you so much for, um, your piece, uh, on this topic at washingtonstand.com. We're going to continue our conversation with Ben Johnson in just a moment. We're going to turn our attention, um, to, um, something going on in California. You will remember it from a couple of years ago, and I was surprised to see it back in the headlines. And so Ben's going to help us understand what, um, this California law actually allows for. Um, Because what you're going to be reading on social media and from conservative um, leaning um, uh, commentators is that, you know, just openly allows for pedophilia, sex between adults and minors. Does the California Senate Bill 145 really say that, really allow for that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. All right. We're continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. Uh, He tweets at The Rights Writer. He also serves as a senior reporter and editor for The Washington Stand. And you can find what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, I'm I'm, I'm giggling because um, on the text line this morning, lots of folks chiming in about a number of things. And um, it just occurred to somebody in our listening audience that Paul Perot is on vacation this week. And the only reason... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that they think they know that is because Ryan, who does an excellent job producing the show. So thank you, Ryan, for being here and doing that. Um, but Ryan's young. So Ryan does not have like a a catalog of five million songs in his head. So it's not like he like pulls a relevant song when I just randomly say something. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That was my... <laughs> That was what my giggle was associated with. So um, tell us what is uh, what is happening um, in California. I mean, you know, you can't cover everything that's happening in California. So let's reduce it down to this. Uh, A couple of years ago, there was this Senate bill 145. It raised alarms when we saw it. And it's a It's raising alarms again. So what does it actually allow for?
2: Yeah, this is a bill you and I discussed at the time, I believe, the Senate Bill 145 in the state of California, which was uh, introduced by Senator Scott Weiner, who more recently introduced a bill that would allow uh, people who identify as transgender from anywhere in the country who are minors to go to California if uh, their parents are not affirming them. And California could momentarily remove custody from their parents until they receive their transgender uh, procedures. So a couple of years ago, he introduced a bill. He's a uh, state senator from the uh, city of San Francisco that would reduce penalties for for sexual relations with minors uh, that involve certain kinds of sex that uh, are more prevalent among the homosexual community and uh, gavin newsom signed it in september of 2020. the um, the claim here and the reason that it's uh, resurfaced uh, of course gavin newsom has been in the headlines he's uh, very high profile those who are near him say that if joe biden does not run for a second term for whatever reason he is certainly going to throw his hat in the ring he is probably the most visible and most viable candidate uh, in the democratic party for the nomination uh, other than Kamala Harris and he's he's probably got the inside track over and above Kamala. So uh, when you uh, when you look at his current rising profile this came up and uh, the associated press ran a uh, so-called fact check on this uh, noting that uh, they were they were debunking the claim and uh, this is their words that uh, California governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill reducing penalties for sodomy with minors. That's precisely what the bill does. Uh, I, I don't want to be overly explicit on a family program, but the bill specifically mentions that particular act, and uh, it, it, um, it decriminalizes, uh, it, it uh, reduces the penalty in the same way that uh, there had previously been a bill that uh, decriminalized uh, what, what is um, more common practices among heterosexuals uh, for teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17 if the person who exploited them is within 10 years of their age. So, a 14-year-old who is exploited by someone who's 24 would have a reduced penalty. The same thing here now uh, in this bill that was signed by Gavin Newsom for the homosexual community. Essentially, uh, this is extraordinarily concerning because the uh, the Associated Press basically said this is missing context. They called it "quote unquote" misinformation. And when you look at the bill, that is exactly what the bill that was signed into law did. Uh, that is exactly the state of affairs right now in California because of this bill, I, again, proposed by Scott Wiener, signed by Gavin Newsom. And uh, it it's, uh, only applies, they say, in certain cases if it was, quote unquote, voluntary. You and I know it doesn't matter if it was voluntary. That's the entire point of statutory rape. The entire the entire point is that someone below what is known as the age of consent cannot consent. Uh, That's why all sex with uh, a minor is by nature exploitative. Whether it's forcible uh, in in terms of physical force, it is exploitative because it is taking advantage of someone whose faculties are not honed by maturity to the point that they can make a mature decision, uh, and it is not involving what what is known as consenting adults. Of course, as Christians, we don't care if—we don't believe that consent is the— the, the overriding factor, we believe that sex is intended for a lifelong consent between a man and a woman in marriage. But uh, for, for the purposes of the law, this is essentially reducing the penalties for exploitation of children. And uh, Christ said that uh, anyone who exploits a child Uh, It would better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So uh, this is this is certainly moving in the wrong direction. And it's not misinformation. It's not complete information, but it is not misinformation. It is very much a very accurate summary of what the bill did.
0: I think that when you know, as Christians, when we're. I mean, living in the midst of a culture like the one where we find ourselves right now and, you know, it's just so easy to liken these days to the days of the judges. Um, you just feel like some of these things are pulled directly from, um, you know, the language of judges and certainly the things that we witness there. Child exploitation um, should certainly be uh, of concern in terms of looking at this uh, Looking at this action in the state of California. The other thing that occurs to me, and you alluded to this, Ben, um, when we when we lose touch with the right place and the right use and the right purpose of the good gift of sex, of sex when, we, when we start migrating away from God's good, purposeful, useful design, um, it, it leads to all kinds of increasingly depraved sexual acts. And finding a way in the culture today to say that, um, and not you know, and and not be charged with being uh, judgmental, you know. I then have I find myself saying, "Look, I'm I'm actually not the not the one um, saying what sex is created for and where it rightly belongs. Um, that's what God says." And so, um, when when people use the language of "it's my God given right to be in a homosexual relationship," to um, become a, a transgendered person. Um, I, I have to remember that I'm not speaking by my own authority or even by my own ideas. When I say, no, um, God created you in his image on purpose and for a purpose, male and female, he created us, and he created us, male and female, to be in a lifelong covenant union, one with the other. And that is the only, the only God given place. For sexual expression. And it's toward a purpose and that purpose is generative. It's, it's you know, the two become one flesh and they, um, and they generate something new and different. Um, and so, uh, yeah, one leads to life and one leads to death. And we, we have to find a way in the culture today to speak honestly about these things, even when um, the laws of the land and, uh, and the media tell us otherwise. Because the Bible is really clear on
2: these points, it absolutely is. you know my I think uh, one of the times that my eyes were opened was listening to uh, the late uh, Billy Graham speaking about this. and he said, uh, he was talking about uh, uh, sex outside marriage, but he was talking specifically about how so much of sexuality is selfish, it's self-serving. Uh, it's an attempt at self-gratification. And, you know, I was a young child. I'm sure he was not the first person to make this point, but it was the first time that I heard it, and it opened my eyes in a a profound way, because uh, so much of what we are trying to do sexually uh, is to build up self. And as we know, we cannot serve two masters, as you were saying today. We cannot serve God and mammon. And uh, quite often, mammon is interpreted as money, but it also simply takes anything that would take the place of God can take the title mammon, and that includes myself. That includes self-serving, that includes caring for myself and exploiting others to that end. And when it comes to God's beautiful plan within marriage, then uh, within when sexuality is shared in that context, you have a stability, you have lifelong faithfulness, you have compatibility to come through whatever consequences may come about for the man or the woman as a result of that union. And then you have that perfect lifelong union that God intended, where uh, he will support and bless them, Uh, you have children who were born as a result of it, and uh, there you have the most beautiful sharing of two people in a form of true intimacy, uh, which is what God intended when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So you have that juxtaposition here, uh, either serving serving self or serving one another faithfully with our heart, our body, and uh, our mind in our entire life laying it down, uh, our marriage at the feet of Christ. So it's it's a beautiful uh, juxtaposition of these two worldviews and where they lead ultimately.
0: So good, so helpful. Ben, um, as always, thank you so much. Uh, you guys can be reading what Ben is writing, another important piece at WashingtonStand.com. Um, on um, a Democratic proposal to take trans-identifying children away from their parents. That's another one you're going to want to read, WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We're gonna spend some time um, this morning talking about grief and what um, grieves us and how Jesus holds us together when life is falling apart. So what are you grieving the loss of today? Or who are you grieving the loss of today? Um, loss comes in so many forms. Um, and sometimes they they pile up, they come in, in rapid succession. We don't allow ourselves um, time to grieve. I have a friend who... Um, who who just lost her husband a, a few weeks ago, and because she and I uh, participate in in a particular group together, you know, like right, I see her bounce back um, emails in you know when the whole group gets a message, right? That that email that is set up to respond automatically for you, and it was evident to me in her you know in her auto reply that you know her plan was to be offline for a couple of weeks and then. You know, hey, if you wanted her to be sure that she saw your email and respond, you know, send her a fresh one um, this coming Monday morning. And I was thinking to myself, I, I, we ought to give each other more time than that to grieve. We ought to allow one another more time than that to be um, tending to the things of the heart and the soul and the body um, and all of the decisions that have to be made and the challenges that we face. So what are you grieving? Um, what are the griefs that maybe have piled up that you haven't allowed yourself to um, to grieve? If you're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, um, do you recognize the presence of Jesus there with you? Are you letting him carry you when you need it? Um, are you letting the light of Christ shine through you as you walk with a friend into or out of the valley of the shadow of death? Like, wh- What do all of these things look like? We're going to um, We're going to talk with uh, Melissa um, uh, Valdivar, and she is going to help us not only look at grief, but she's going to help us discover what cannot be lost. That's the title of the book, What Cannot Be Lost, How Jesus Holds Us Together When Life is Falling Apart. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Melissa um, Valdivar joins us now. Uh, Melissa, thank you um, so much for being here. Thank you for how personally you share and tell your story of loss and what cannot be lost, how Jesus holds us together when life is falling apart. Um, Thank you. I just want to start by saying thank you.
1: Oh, wow. I mean, it's an honor to get to be here and chat with you. So thanks for having me. So, um, before you joined us,
0: you know, I shared with folks um uh, just the reality right of unresolved grief and how we let them pile up over time and um and sometimes how we press them so deeply down and we just move forward and we almost forget that it's there, but in challenging um you know people to consider is there a is there a grief that you you know that still like just persists as unresolved in your life like you know a one of our listeners um, almost immediately texted in, "I lost my son." Another, "I lost my childhood," um, and um, and a friend who I would say has griefs piling up, um, even acknowledging that uh, you know she she has a um, she has a sibling in heaven who was aborted by her mom, and so she doesn't know if that's a boy or a girl. Like, right there, there are these griefs, these losses that we experience in life. Um, that can be the loss of a job or the loss of a home because of a catastrophe or a natural disaster, the loss of a friend by betrayal, um, these losses that we experience because of uh, the thief who is death. But we don't always spend enough time processing through them. And then they just become a grief that we just try to haul around throughout our life you really address all of that and um and so i want folks to know that as you and i begin this conversation tell us um briefly your story of loss
1: yeah you know i think that loss can happen on any front right as you just described with these listeners writing in it's it can be i like to say you know everyone's lost something it could be a wallet or a friend or a loved one um and a relationship you know a dream and so one of the things that um, I sort of walked through and I talk about in this book is is the literal loss of a friend to cancer, a friend from college. But I also, during that same season, went through um, a job loss. And it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was, you know, just single, living alone and feeling isolated, the loss of community, right? And so I think that losses sort of hit on every front. And I talked about you know, in the midst of losing so many things, what cannot be lost is Jesus, but that's a lot easier said than done. And when we are really hurting, um, our view of Jesus isn't so rosy, right? Um, And so I talk about what it means to just be really honest about our grief and to recognize that um, our relationship with Jesus does not mean that suddenly we don't have grief anymore, or we don't feel grief anymore, but he walks with us through it.
0: Yeah um I've someone else texting in the loss of community that comes from the loss of a job or the loss of divorce um we lost our home um you know I lost my home as a child because my parents divorced one another these losses that people experience I mean we think of loss I mean, that person, right, they probably lost their church community. They lost their sense of security. They lost some of their dreams mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, right, how they even colored pictures of their family, right? Like when you draw yeah. a picture of your of your home and your family, when a child goes through a divorce or when their parents go through a divorce, the child experiences that loss on so many levels. But a lot of people have not processed through all of that. Um, so if you um, if you're resonating with what we're saying already – And you're you're saying to yourself, wow, that is definitely a book I want to I want to have my hands on what cannot be lost. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to eight, seven, seven, nine, three, three, two, four, eight, four. Melissa, tell us what cannot be lost, because that's really where you land. And that's the hope of this conversation.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things I like to say is some things are temporary, some things are eternal, and we have to learn to tell the difference. We think that we can put our hope into things um, that in the moment seem like good things, right? But at the same time, they're not the ultimate thing, so to speak. And so I found um, that one of the ways that I can kind of give a synopsis of this book is just two words, which is, Jesus stays. Um, That Jesus stays when it is dark, that Jesus stays when it is good, Jesus stays when I'm facing all kinds of things, and that that companionship cannot be lost. There can certainly be times, and I, I want to acknowledge, there can be times where we don't feel the closeness and sweetness of Jesus every moment, especially in moments of despair, we feel very alone. Um, but to know that he is there grieving alongside us and and walking that out alongside us that the things that break our hearts break his heart, um, I think adds to a layer of companionship that I really didn't expect I think we think that you know we're supposed to get it all together before we take it to Jesus, right? Let's clean ourselves up before we go get cleaned up. Um, but I found that when I had nothing left, um, this one thing of of Jesus stayed. Um, sometimes it was a simple reminder through a friend that I wasn't alone. Sometimes it was a really sweet sort of coming together of, um, you know, the care of other people or reading a scripture passage that really meant a lot or, Um, sometimes when I couldn't even open my Bible because I was just so, um, I felt so forsaken. It was in the simplicity of, uh, this is going to sound a little crazy, but the simplicity of a little stink bug in my apartment, um, that somehow always ended up being around every time I felt alone. And so it kind of felt like this little reminder from the Lord of you're never fully alone. There's always something around. Uh, and I think things like that really made me go, Oh Lord, like you see me and, um, that is the thing that cannot be lost, which is a is a gift
0: i I love that um melissa i I appreciate that you as a believer um can say hey you know i'm not I'm not worshiping the presence of a stink bug i'm not I'm not saying that my dead friend is present in the stink bug i'm not saying but I am saying that even a stink bug can remind me of yes. God's presence and his promise to never leave me or forsake me." Um, and yeah. so let's talk a little bit about um, some of the lies the world tells us about grief or the process of grief, and some of the things that you know to be know to be true. Um, not not just because the Bible says them, but because you have lived the reality.
1: Yeah, I mean, Scripture tells us, and and it's easy to say, especially when you're not in a season of grief. So I want to acknowledge that for anyone who's listening who is grieving. But you know, Scripture tells us we mourn, but not as those without hope right and so we are more than allowed to feel those feelings of grief jesus felt those feelings of grief and he's our example of how to live um but i think that in the world there is this hopelessness right it's this feeling of that person is gone we're never getting them back and it is really this ache of and now what do we do and there's a lot of looking around and struggling and feeling this sense of lostness right Um, And so I think that the gift as a believer is to be able to say, yes, I'm grieving. Yes, I'm feeling all of these things. But like, you know, my friend Jill is she her soul is eternal, right? Like she's with like she's fine. Um, And so I think sometimes being able to grieve and have a future hope is really something that the world does not offer us. I think they can give us ideas or like, maybe this happens or, you know, I guess that one day maybe, you know, like there's just a lot of question marks. Whereas very um, confidently in scripture, we see people say, no, this is our future hope. And I think if Jesus can die, just like people die, right? If Jesus can die, but then can come back, it gives us that hope of, oh, wait, but that's not the end of the story because in Jesus' story, that's not the end of his story. And so I think being able to refocus on the truths of scripture has been so grounding for me. And I regularly say to people, I don't know how they're doing it outside of the Christian faith, because that is such a hopeless situation. And so I love um, that passage of scripture that talks about how, how we are comforted in our grief, certainly, so we can comfort others, right? As time goes on, there is an opportunity to say to somebody else, yes, I have been through and I can testify that you will make it out of that season, right? That that is not the end of the story. I have um, a friend who has a song where she talks about, like, if it's not the, like, if it's uh, not okay, it's not the end. And so we Mm. have this future hope. And I think it allows us to not just get through that moment, but to continue to get through every season and kind of anchor ourselves in a way that I've just not found any other resource um, in the world is able to do.
0: I love that you, um, that a song came to mind because I do think that there's a soundtrack um, mm. for this as well. In addition to the way that God ministers to us through creation um, and ministers to us through his word and ministers to us through the common grace of, you know, of one another. Um, you know, he also ministers to us through music. And so, you know, thank you for highlighting that as well. Um, we're talking with uh, Melissa Valdivar, we're talking about her book, What Cannot Be Lost. I wanted to read the subhead, so I wanted to have it in front of me. How Jesus holds us together when life is falling apart. Um, If this is a book that, as you're listening to us, you say, I I have a friend to whom I know that would really minister, or I really need that myself. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we're giving away today. Melissa and I will be right back. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Melissa uh, Zaldivar, we're talking about her book, What Cannot Be Lost, How Jesus Holds Us together when life is falling apart she shares really um personally about her own experiences of grief and walking through um intense and very traumatic experiences throughout her life what she's learned along the way about god's constant presence and what she's learned about his character and his will um and so it's a this book is a helpful companion um for somebody who whose faith is being tested uh in the face of of loss um and so uh, we do have copies to give away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Melissa, um there are some temptations that the the enemy uses, particularly when a believer is experiencing a loss. Um there there is an you know that's one of the places and times so I think when the enemy Prowls around looking for one you know looking for a way in to devour us. can you talk about um some of the temptations that believers face uh, in the midst of grief?
1: Yeah, I mean when we grieve, something happens in our heads and our hearts that tells us you need to cope in any way that you can think to cope. I know of a lot of stories of people who have walked through grief and suddenly there's a new addiction um there's a new sin struggle, there is a new um sense of hopelessness that arises. And that can be a really hard thing to, to come, uh, through onto the other side and, and to be sort of unscathed as it were. Um, I mean, we don't make it through grief unscathed. I want to be clear about that. But I think that when, um, one of my favorite things that my, my Christian counselor has always said to me is this, uh, analogy of halt when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, we're more likely to fall prey to um, deceptive ways of thinking, um, to temptation, to different sins and things like that, and so sometimes when you know we can, when we find ourselves in those places of why do I really want to you know, just scroll mindlessly on my phone forever. And that's that's not a sin, to be clear, but it's so tempting to just numb out, right? It's so tempting to turn to something else um, for our comfort instead of the Lord. I think that's really the biggest temptation. Um, and And to be clear, like, temptation does not mean um, acting on a sin. Temptation is your mind saying, maybe this would be comforting. And and that's something that our minds do, right? Paul tells us, I do the thing I don't want to do. Um, but by the grace of God, we can come to him and we can say, hey, I don't want to turn to this thing for comfort. I don't want to just be watching Netflix all the time to try to numb out. I don't want to be um, turning maybe to even a substance as a way of numbing myself to this pain. Like, Lord, I want to turn to you. And, you know, the Lord is sometimes very hard to turn to because, you know, we don't hear this audible voice or he can't just show up with ice cream um, and say, hey, how's your day been? And it's a very different, it sometimes feels less tangible. And yet we know that it is so much more satisfying to be in relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, that temptation, I first of all, want to say for someone who might be feeling grief and, you know, saying, why am I doing this and beating themselves up? You know what? First of all, like we all fall short, um, but there is also no um, there is no reason you can't just turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And I really want to come back to you. And I think that's the good gift of Jesus is he's not sitting there saying what you coped in some other way other than me. How could you? I can't believe this. Like, no, he is walking alongside you every moment. He's omnipresent. He's always present. And that should be a comfort to us to say, when we come to him and say, I'm really hurting, I think his first response is, I know. And we are not hiding that from him. And so when we can, when we come to him, therefore, we can just come straight to him and we don't need to get cleaned up first and we don't need to pretend everything's fine because he's so aware of us and he's so aware of our struggles that We can just go straight to him and, uh, we don't have to worry about the shock factor there.
0: Okay. So you, um, are a two-time author. Like this is your second book. You are the host of a really wildly popular podcast that, um, is called cheer her on where you are cheering other women and particularly young women, um, you know, cheering them on in the truth. You are a truth cheerleader. It's one way you described yourself, um, you're uh you're a graduate of of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary which makes me want to ask do you know my friend Jim Singleton um oh, but like yeah, i
1: one of my favorites
0: i know right don't you? i know mhm mm-hmm. totally one yeah. of my faves so um and you're also like incredibly young and and so i i one of the things i genuinely appreciate about you is that um you know the lord so well and speak about him with such intimacy and conviction of truth, and you're young. And that is um, so needed in, in the world today. So, um, you know, I think I'd be tempted to ask, well, gosh, how'd you get here at such a young age? But, but because I'm a person who was acquainted with grief at a young age as well, I get how you got here so young. You got here so young with such conviction and such, um, poise in speaking confidently about the goodness, uh, and steadfast nature of the Lord, because you have walked with him in your, in your youth through challenging traumatic times and found him faithful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, um, there are things, I always say that there are things that I will not write about, right? There are things that Absolutely. Um, are so personal and tied to so many people that I s- still really love um, that I won't um, talk about. But I, as you were saying that, I felt the kind of nudge to share, and I, I don't typically share these things um, publicly, and this is totally fine for the record, <laughs> but um, you know, I just want to say to the person who has an unnamed trauma or grief that maybe you're not ready to share that with the entire world. Um, having a few close friends that walk with you through that, I think has been game changing. And that's what the Lord has used to restore my hope in humanity at times. Um, And again, not my ultimate hope in humanity, but to restore hope through humanity, through friendships and through relationships and through the local church. Um, There has been a lot of hurt, as you mentioned, um, in my life, a lot of grief, a lot of trauma. And that is part of the reason that I am the way that I am. And I think the Lord has always been kind to, Um, just to provide others to walk with me through that grief. So if you're someone who is feeling that feeling like I have this big thing, you know, nothing good lives in secrecy. (laughs) Um, And so I would encourage them reach out to someone in your community, it can just be a trusted friend a mentor a counselor, um, and get it all out there. uh, Because I think being able to just say it out loud uh, is something that is absolutely instrumental and you know the truth sets us free. so um for anyone who might be struggling with that feeling of um intense uh isolation as a result of their grief or their trauma, my encouragement is to reach out to someone that is healthy and that you can trust and that loves the Lord and um, that I'm praying will be the first step in in seeing some real healing in your life.
0: I hope you take this the right way. I totally love you already. Um, and so <laughs> if you discover that I'm now like following you on all of the socials, then, um, you know, don't feel stalked, feel loved and appreciated. Um, you can find Melissa at her website, Melissa Zaldivar, Z-A-L-D-I-V-A-R. From there, you can get to, um, to all her social follows. Um, you can see her precious, um, family. She's an auntie to eight. So, um, what do they call you? Cause I'm, cause I'm Auntie Carmen and cause I okay. didn't get married until I was in my early forties. And so my identity as Auntie Carmen precedes my identity as Miss Carmen and Grandma Carmen.
1: I love that so much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I am called Auntie M. That's what they mm-hmm. call me. Oh, when Auntie
0: M. <laughs> yeah. Auntie M. See, I love that. All right. Well, Auntie M, I hope you will come back um, sometime and talk with us again. I love what you're doing. Um, I, I, I appreciate the concept of being a truth cheerleader and the way you're encouraging other women. So thank you so much for joining us today. The book is just excellent. Um, and you guys can, uh, can let me know if you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away of what cannot be lost, how Jesus holds us together when life is falling apart. You just text the word book to 877-933-2484, and you can hook up with Melissa online at melissazaldivar.com. Dot com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Laburge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, didn't you just love her? Yeah, I know. Me too. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. I don't know, what do we, what can we do here in the 20 seconds that we have? What if we just revel in the presence of one another? Just thank you so much for including me in your day. Um, yeah, Mary Rose was acknowledging how precious it is to be connected uh, with one another through this radio medium. So I'm, I'm just thrilled uh, to be a part of your day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.